We're in Hebrews chapter 8, looking at verse 11, and we might even get into verse 12 this morning. We're going to look again, starting with verse 7. By the time I end this passage, I believe you'll be able to uh, recite verses 7 to 13 there. <clears throat> it says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen, and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me, from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. When he set a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. Let's pray. Almighty God, uh, as we seek you this morning lord we come by the only way possible or by the word of jesus christ that we may know you that we may know the son and that in knowing uh, the two we may have everlasting life lord we ask that your holy spirit reveal to us the truths of scripture this morning lord as these are not uh, found and uh, made possible to understand for the natural man but for only those whom you have called according to your purpose, those whom you have elect and predestined and given unto the Son, uh, that he may redeem them by the blood which was spilt on the cross, Lord. And we thank you for that. We thank you that uh, the cross is to us a, a bittersweet uh, event, Lord, that will be spoken of into eternity, that Christ, the God-man, has gone there, as a propitiation as we will uh, no doubt see from the text this morning and that he has gone a, a sinless man he has gone a perfect man uh, a fulfiller of the law one who has kept it holy uh, lord and we thank you that that is the truth lord and that ha has been applied to some of us who sit under the sound of your word this morning where we simply ask that you would bless us spiritually God, that you would uh, enlighten this word, that you would magnify yourself in it, that you would bring glory uh, to the name of our Savior and yourself, O oh God, that you would be pleased with our worship this morning, and that truly everything that we do would be as worship unto the Most High God. Lord, we just thank you for uh, the abundance of blessings that we have already partaken of this morning, uh, God, and we praise you for those that we will see should we breathe another breath, Lord, and we ascribe to you all the glory and the honor. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Verse 11 says, And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen or his fellow man, and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. Uh, verse 11, of course, is a continuance of what we have seen from verse 7 through 10. This morning, depending on your translation, uh, as it begins in verse 11, and they shall not teach everyone his neighbor, fellow citizen, uh, those around him, and that is the immediate context. All of these things that will be presented in verse 11 are based upon this new covenant, uh, this new covenant that is unlike the old and that it was it is without fault. Uh, it does not rely upon man or his ability to keep or adhere to it. Instead, it, uh, it is founded in and built upon and resting in the work of Jesus Christ. And most certainly that is uh, the topic of every message from the Bible that 
what Christians believe and what Christians do, what Christians even, yes, feel and, uh, and react to emotionally shall be based simply on the work of the cross and the work of Christ on that cross. And uh, I say that this morning because many will react to things in the Bible or they will react to outward circumstances or events or wherever they may find themselves purely out of emotion sometimes. And then we may sometimes act purely out of idealistic uh, mannerisms that we have, and that is what we think ought to happen or what we think that we should do. And I say that uh, our reaction as followers of Christ shall never be, of course, void of emotion, but they shall not be led by emotion. Uh, they shall not be uh, void of good common sense and thinking, but they should not be led by any other thinking, lest it be the thinking of Christ that is presented in the text of Scripture. This is why we are urged to have a mind uh, like what is in Christ Jesus himself, that we do all things for the glory of God. And that is really uh, the motive behind what is being stated here in verse 11. And they shall not teach. Uh, this is for us to examine this morning, and we should draw uh, two conclusions, what it does mean and what it does not mean. I think uh, oftentimes we look, and because we are to interpret the text of Scripture, and thus we are to do so by other texts of Scripture, we let Scripture determine what Scripture says. We often forget to look at the negative connotation of Scripture, to look at what it does not mean. In fact, I believe that the apostles and Paul and Peter spend much time, and then when we read the book uh, of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John there, we, we see that there is a, a need for us to understand also what it is not meant by the Scripture, that we may not be led astray by what is false or what is incomplete or what is maybe only a shadow or a foreshadow, if you will, a picture or a glimpse of the fullness of Christ. And with verse 11, uh, we should be taught uh, as well these same things to see what we shall not do and what we shall do. It says, and they shall not teach based upon what we saw in verse 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. Verse 11 is building upon this more excellent ministry. They shall not teach. This is to carry away from the text that it shall not be done like it has been done in the past because there is a more excellent ministry. He is the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. It is for this reason that it is no longer our duty to teach. And this is the point in which we understand what we are to not take away from this scripture. This does not negate evangelism. This does not negate the preaching of God's Word. This does not negate the public reading of God's Word. This does not negate Sunday school lessons. This does not negate our Wednesday night prayer meetings. This does not negate what the Scriptures say that we should sing to one another hymns and songs and spiritual psalms. This does not negate any of those things that we are to verbally do in, in order to admonish or encourage or lift or exalt and, and, and bring one another up in the Scriptures. This does not mean that you no longer have to teach your children or that the elders of the church are excused from biblical doctrine. This does not mean any of those things. In essence, though, what we should take away is that it relies no longer upon the ability of man to teach something that he has never been able to teach completely. In fact, what the Scripture is saying, it says, when they shall not teach, it is actually saying they shall not teach because they are no good at doing what only Christ can do through this new, excellent, obtained ministry that he has. In fact, what we see is uh, a really a true picture of the gospel in verse 11. That man before was responsible to teach that God had communicated. Well, as we see in the first chapter of Hebrews, and, and sundry times in diverse manners spoke to the fathers by the prophets. Many diverse ways it, it was declaring. 
and now he is only speaking through the Son. What it is telling us is, is that there has been a logical progression of the gospel in which the fullness of the light of Christ is available in the Word and by the Spirit. Once before, it was not that way. For a priest uh, would teach, a rabbi would teach, and as we see even uh, still happening today in the Roman Catholic Church, there uh, tends to be a guarding of the text of Scripture. That is where Protestantism comes from, is because they wanted to guard the Word, and they thought that the layman should not be able to interpret for himself or read for himself the Scripture. In fact, that is why we have translations of the Bible today, a big debate amongst Christians about English translations. In fact, they all come because there is a necessity after the coming of Christ that each man be able to read for himself, to see for himself, for what would it mean if one is to be convinced in his own mind if it is up to someone else to convince him. Indeed, that is what the ministry of Christ is doing, that each man is still obligated as a Christian to teach in some respect, uh, to speak and to preach, but it is up to Christ to administer and this is directly speaking to the propitiation that Christ is. When Christ has come with this new excellent ministry, this better covenant enacted upon better promises, he is not only saving, but he is teaching. He is not only teaching, but he is sanctifying. He is not only sanctifying, but he is making holy and righteous before God. He is doing what man could not do. Therefore, the gospel is represented uh, to us in another form or fashion, in order to prove that the gospel of Christ declares that man has been responsible, but man is unable. Man has been responsible, he has failed, and therefore we will rely upon the Christ. When it says, they shall not teach, it is declaring that things have changed from one covenant to the other. When we read that uh, he shall not teach his neighbor, he shall not teach his fellow citizen, uh, this is also a point that we must understand from the perspective of evangelism. When we see neighbor in the text of Scripture, when we say fellow citizen, that is not to exclude some who are maybe further away. This does not mean that your neighbor is within a one-mile radius. This does not mean that your neighbor is, are those who are in your zip code. In fact, uh, English Western Christians would love to think that they are only responsible for a few houses on their street. But when we see the implication of the text fellow citizen, when we see neighbor, we must understand it as fellow man, that we are obligated even to every creature to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the goodness of christ and there is how we understand the gospel as it is presented most sunday mornings in churches that it is to be a presentation and a declaration of what christ has done and how christ is to be seen in the scripture but only christ may make it effectual only Christ may apply this blood. And for this reason, we may begin to understand how verse 11 is to be taken. He shall not teach his neighbor. Uh, he shall not teach this fellow citizen or this brother, everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for that is what was said before. That is what the Old Testament declares, that he was to uh, teach his brother to know the Lord. But the reality is that no one can teach you to know someone else. What does it mean to know someone? It means to be familiar with, to be in relation with. And as much as Pat may tell us about his father, or as much as Barbara may tell us about his her mother, excuse me, Miss Barbara, uh, sorry for that, the, the implication is that no one can teach us to know someone whom we have not seen, whom we have not heard, who we have not met. Now we begin to see what Christ is doing with the gospel. He is causing us to hear. He is causing us to see with spiritual eye, to hear with spiritual ear, and to know in the heart that 
He has replaced with a heart of flesh. He is causing us to do all of these things that man alone cannot do. We begin to understand that this is important in understanding this new covenant. This is important in understanding what teaching should have been but never was and what true biblical teaching is now because he says he will write it on the hearts. We will know, will be made effectual. Verse 10, as we read last week, I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Nobody can make you know someone like that. Not even the best of preachers, but the best of parents. They shall, in essence, teach no more. This is uh, to reveal to us the flaws with the Mosaical Covenant. Think about this. Think about that we have, uh, if we take upon ourselves this Hebrew mentality uh, that was common, we have trusted in Moses as a mediator as a prophet, to speak to us. But uh, if we spend any time thinking about Moses, it wouldn't take us long to remember he's a murderer, to remember he's a sinner. And now all of a sudden we may question his motives. We may question his tactics. We may question his ways. Or this Moses being a sinful man, could he uh, also be full of flaw that he had forgot something? that he had failed to mention something else. If, if you think about it, no one uh, likes to hire someone to do a job and then see them mess up because then you start beginning to doubt if they're able to do the job. When we are presented in verse 11, this they shall not teach, it is with the same idea that there have been sinful man to represent and mediate uh, before the Christ has come and we know that they are full of flaws, and we know that uh, they could not do the very best. But here is presented one in verse 7, this Jesus Christ who is uh, the enactor of a new covenant on better promises, and he has been without flaw. He has been fully convincing to those whom he is speaking of to salvation. And what I mean is that what the Bible declares is true. None are lost. That all the Father has given him, all shall be grasped by the Christ, taken by the hand and led to the true promised land. And that is what we see this morning. Not everyone shall be taught any longer by mere man. The neighbor shall no longer rely upon your interpretation or what you say in fact what we also understand is that the teaching of man goes something like this just like you may all have found out you have raised children you can teach them things and you know that you have explained it and that they understand but can you make them conform there is the failure of this first covenant there is no conformity there is no obedience there is no true spiritual worship because one is to worship in spirit and in truth. And all that the law provided, it could not provide true worship. It could not provide reliance because it was based upon uh, a man, a sinful man. It, it, this covenant was enacted uh, that one would fulfill this law that by the hands of sinful man was unable to be fulfilled. Here we see a Christ presented who is able to do all of these things, who will not only bring you into obedience, but he will cause you to find joy in obedience. He will cause you to find love in proclaiming the gospel. None of this keep to it, strict adherent to the law, you must do this, you must do that. Oh, i just got to meet the requirements. What Christ is saying is, I have met the requirements. Enjoy the grace of God. Not only enjoy the grace of God, but we must well take the grace of God not to be abused, and we must also be still obedient to God. 
Here, every man, his neighbor, or fellow citizen is reaching out to the fullest extent of all men, but most certainly, as it is presented in the text of Hebrews, it is for the Christian that there is to be, naturally, even both with the new covenant and the old, there should be concern for the neighbor. There should be another conclusion that we draw from that, that both with Christ and this final covenant, this saving covenant, we should be concerned for one another that we do preach the gospel, that we do lift one another up, that we are reminding one another of what Christ has done and what Christ is even doing for us personally. But as well with the Old Testament, there stood this same mentality, this same thing happening, that the text of Scripture should be bringing us to Christ, to conformity, to obedience, to belief, all of these things that it never really did. In fact, if anyone was ever to believe, if anyone was to ever be saved, either in New Testament times or Old Testament, it must have been based upon this propitiation, this blood of Christ. And in fact, it says, they shall not teach, saying, know the Lord as if it was a formal declaration of being saved, when in fact all it was uh, was a phrase to these people. For many did not know, many did not trust, many would find their, their faith fleeting because it wasn't based upon the fulfillment that is found in Christ in this new covenant. This old manner, this old way of teaching must pass and we must look to Christ. Sounds like what every Sunday morning sermon should sound like. The old must pass away and Christ must be new every day. In fact, that is what he has done. He is bringing life every day and life more abundant and life more holy and life more righteous and this is exactly what the text is declaring. To know the Lord is to be in an intimate relationship with Him. Not to know notionally or with the mind, but to know in heart and to have confidence in. How much confidence would you have in a sinful man presenting a sacrifice on your behalf? How do we know they wouldn't keep it? How do we know that they actually did it? We weren't there. We couldn't see you aren't behind the veil, but yet with Christ we know because the sacrifice is not only seen in the text of Scripture, it has been seen by many. For many were there upon that hill when Christ was raised on the cross. Many had seen him after the resurrection. For this reason we may know for sure that Christ is risen and risen indeed. And this morning as we look at the text and we see this declaration that they say no longer know the Lord to each other, it is not to simply say know about the Lord, but it is to know Him because He has come in. No one can teach you to do that. The best sermons in the world will never save a human soul. Neither shall the worst. So in that respect they are all equal what it does rely upon is it relies upon the work of christ to know and to believe there is the distinction from one to the next for the former would say to know but they would do so with the absence of belief in fact they would fail to preach repentance and belief well, why was it that they would hate the message of John the Baptist? It wasn't because he would say, know the Lord. It was because knowing the Lord led John to understand that there must also be a change, that there must also be repentance. There must also be uh, an introspection of self in which we see sinful man as he is fully iniquitous and not worthy at all of even speaking to God. The case is made 
that one may know in mind without knowing in heart. In fact, it would mean that the redemption of Christ to one of such would be ineffectual. Matter of fact, not ineffectual, but never even attempted by Christ. For what Christ attempts, Christ completes. That is the message of verse 11. What Christ begins as author, Christ finishes. And he does so in faith. The great distinction between one teaching, this sinful man, he, his neighbor, his brother, his fellow countrymen, fellow citizen, and Christ. Your grasp is limited. Even with those whom you carry uh, the most clout, the most respect. Very limited. As you have found out and I mentioned earlier, even children will disobey. Even spouses will disappoint those whom you esteem highly will fail you at times. And the text of Scripture declares that this Lord Jesus Christ is able to reveal and to change and to influence and to keep all of the things that we cannot do. And the case is made, of course, as we look back through the Old Testament because it says that he led them out of captivity. He led them out of Egypt. We know that he led them from the captivity uh, to Babylon. All of these are minor cases to point us to the major case in which he has caused us to flee from sin like those would flee from Egypt and to cling to righteousness and he is the one accredited to leading all the way. And in fact, what the old covenant did is just remind us that the new covenant was coming and that what Christ could deliver us from in the temporal, he most certainly can do and will do in the spiritual. For Egypt is not so bad compared to hell. Babylon is not so bad compared to hell. In fact, if... We believe that one can be saved from hell. Shouldn't we look to one who has already delivered us from so many things, from so many sins, from so many captors, from so much iniquity? No longer will they teach imperfectly, impartially, in, in part, excuse me, and much partial for they would choose. Even today we often make the mistake of choosing whom we will share the gospel with. Make the mistake of choosing whom we will minister to and whom we will not. And in fact, what the text declares is that these types and shadows that are present before in the Old Testament, Christ will fulfill them. You won't have to worry about if you missed teaching one who needed to be saved, Christ will not miss one. He will not forego a single sheep of his flock. For he will find even the one that strays from the ninety-nine. And what he will bring is he will bring an understanding of the truth, a revelation of the truth. He will bring uh, many accounts of truth that there will be even more than a threefold witness for we will see over and over again through every text of scripture that christ is the same and that he is still saving and that no one else has come up with a better way to enter into heaven not even a worse way not even a harder way is there but there is one and the instruction shall no longer come from sinful man no longer teach everyone his fellow citizen or his brother saying know the lord he says but all will know me all will know me from the least and to the greatest of them this is a wonderful declaration one that uh, should maybe cause some to jump out of their pews this morning. All shall know me. 
all will know me. Now we have to understand, we have to begin to look into the attributes of this God-man Christ that make him so much God that he knows everyone. He knows the hearts of men. He knows whom the Father has given him. And he knows which ones need and which ones shall be provided. And when he knows these things, being very God, it is with simplicity that he will say, all will know me because he is confident where no other man can be confident for who else has gone himself to the grave and been raised again by his own power for who else has been tempted by satan and is able to say get thee behind thee and who able is there to defeat death who is there among us who has walked this earth for even one year without sin much less who has created the earth and coming to his own his own receiving him not and then there ministered 33 and a half years about and without sin the answer is there is none therefore it stands to reason that when he says all will know me he knows that the under the administration of his gospel by the power of his word by his holy spirit that everyone to whom is to be saved and whose salvation has been appointed shall they receive the gospel it is noteworthy to understand that many of the apostles would continue in their epistles to declare that not only shall we know the lord but we shall be conformed to his image and this is not a conforming in which by we may use a law or a set of standards or morals to make ourselves conform, but that he will draw us and he will consume us. Not to simply be devoured as an enemy, but to be digested with his goodness, with this blood and this bread, and that we may become like him, sinless and perfect, presented before God Almighty without any spot or blemish. This is what it means for all to know. All who are covered, of course, by this covenant. This is not a universalism uh, salvation here. It is talking about a covenant. Therefore, there are two parties. There's the maker and the uh, creator of this covenant and there is the recipient of this covenant therefore god is speaking here when he says all he's not talking about every single human that has ever been created but to whom the covenant is made with before think about this the first covenant was made with men and it failed it said there was fault found and it was with man it means that not all who were entered into the covenant were uh, completely fulfilled through the covenant but here there is something different uh, brought to perspective it is that the covenant relies upon the promise of god and the work of god where before it seemed to be that it was the promise of god and the work of man herefore now we have every recipient and enterer into this covenant saved by the grace of god guaranteed by the blood of christ here is an institution that is not failing and ne never shall it fail the fullness and the power of this covenant does not rest on earth. In fact, Hebrews has done a great deal of work in declaring that the power and the maker and the doer and the worker of this covenant is seated at the right hand of God Almighty and that he is mediator and that he is advocate. Ever since last week, I was thinking, man, there's an A word that I am missing here about Jesus. It was advocate. And I thought many times how we might use mediator and advocate sort of synonymously. And then as I began to think about that word advocate, I thought, how is it? Because it must be. How is it so different even from mediator? Well, mediator, of course, understands the covenant. And we most certainly will not take that away from christ he understands the covenant he is representing god and he is representing man he is representing god and that god must be just 
that God must be truthful and every man remain a liar, that God must keep his word and that God also must save man because that is his intention and that is his declaration from the very beginning that he will even save man. And that as a mediator for man, he is representing man to God, saying that uh, there must be some saved, yet I know they're sinful, God, and he is mediating. And then I thought about advocate. Advocate takes this mediator and makes him and shows his love for those whom he is advocating for. No longer is it an impartial whereby Christ is making sure that man is saved and that God is true. He is advocating out of love. He is representing. He is pleading before God. And uh, I would think as much as we understand that God would be pleading for sinners in the person of Christ, I would think that he does not have to beg too long before the Father. For he is the one in whom this Father is well pleased. He does not have to convince God the Father to pardon sinners. He has a great weight and relationship and glory that he has shared with God and that it delights the Father when Christ is mediating and advocating on behalf of sinners. It delights him that he is doing God's will all the while we have failed to do so. To know this God is to be changed by this God. To be changed by this God uh, invokes the, the case that we have been purchased by this God. And that we have been purchased by this God, it means that he has uh, placed upon us a great value. Value wasn't there before the payment. Let me say that again. The value was not there before the payment. For Christ before the creation of the world was valuable. The text has begged the question a couple of times. Why would you be concerned with man? He is concerned with man because Christ has died for man. He is concerned with man because it is man who placed this Christ there. It is man who is, in essence, submitted this payment. For his sin and his iniquity is before him, and it has placed Christ upon this cross as a sinless man, yet he says they know not what they do. I think many times when I've read over chapter 8 of Hebrews, I always every time i read it i cannot help but think to go back to john chapter 17 and think of the words of christ uh, that he would be crucified and that he would be uh, experiencing extreme agony and pain and the wrath the full measure of the wrath of god and his only concern would be with those who were sinning lord forgive them he asks. Yes, it's being very God, his word being so true, it should be considered as a command. Forgive them. It is done. It is finished, he would say. And here what we see is that the Spirit is now coming because this Lord Jesus Christ has gone to the cross. He says, all will know me, all will know me because I will make sure. Isn't that what salvation is? Christ making sure. Christ has made sure in, in most every way possible and every way imaginable. It's almost like preparing for a vacation. He has gone and made sure that the, the place before us is set. He's made it's sure that there is a place in heaven. He says, I go before you to prepare. He's prepared the path. He's prepared the place. He's prepared the feast. And what is it all? What is the place? The place is heaven. What is heaven? It's the presence of Jesus Christ. What is the path? It is the path of righteousness. It is the footsteps of Christ that we are following. What is 
Uh, the feast, the feast itself is even Christ. And therefore, when we read chapter 11, we may know, as with every text, the only topic here is Jesus Christ. We will know the Lord because we will follow after him. We will take up a cross. These are just evidences. These aren't things that you must check off uh, in order to be saved, but these are things that you will see in order that you know you are already saved. But he says, you will know me because you will hear my voice, he says in John chapter 10. And you will not follow another. I had an interesting conversation this week with a Hispanic gentleman I was doing a job for, and we got to talking about someone professing to be a Christian and then uh, having some pretty dirty business practices. And I said to him, I said, I was pretty sure that that guy did not uh, know Jesus Christ. And I, I said it to him in Spanish because, you know, I'm fluent, right? And the guy said, oh, he knew Jesus, but it was another Jesus. Text of Scripture tells us that if we are not covered and completed in this new covenant that is in Christ's blood, we are at best following another Jesus. We are knowing another Jesus. We are following another Jesus. It says, all will know me from the least to the greatest. The greatest of scholars, the smallest of infants. For it is possible even in the womb for one to know the Lord Jesus Christ because he first loves us. He first knows us. We have even a couple of accounts in Scripture in which we know that that is true with John the Baptist and Jeremiah. That even in the womb they may know. This is uh, the superiority of Christ's ability through the Holy Spirit to cause us to know. No longer... Uh, should we think that a priest can make us know or that a rabbi can make us know or that our parents can make us know the Lord or that even our pastor can make us know the Lord? Thank goodness we don't have to rely on those folks because they've got other things going on. You may not always be at the forefront of their mind. and In fact, I will, I will tell you for sure that you will not. You've seen parents leave their kids in the car. If they can do that, they can forget about other men knowing the Lord. But what Jesus declares here is, They will know me, for I am revealing myself. God declares that he is revealing the Christ, and it will, he will only speak his words through him whom he has appointed heir of all things, whom he has appointed as mediator, who is the final prophet priest and king of kings and lord of lords they shall all know me the old methods are passed away and behold when all things are new it must even mean that all things are new the way that we think of knowing god most certainly must be renewed it can only be renewed in that the spirit has come we read this morning who were you baptized into or what were you baptized into? We read from Acts. And the reality is that uh, when we read about the day of Pentecost, it is not uh, in there because we must wait for the Spirit to fall. But it was the first time. It was a significant event in which the Holy Spirit was given. And that is what chapter 8, verse 11 is building on. You will know the Lord. They will all know me because I am with them always. Never absent. You don't have to answer a bunch of questions or spend so much time before you get your certificate of salvation for what he declares is all will know me, the least of them to the greatest. None being left out. None being lost. In fact, what he is declaring here is even simpler than what I have presented to you 
thus far in verse 11 when he says all will know me he doesn't mean all will know that i am god he means all will know that i am god and that god is the creator and that god is the provisioner and that god is the provider and that god is the propitiation and god is the secure god is the promiser he's the promise keeper he is the enabler god is king of kings god is lord of wars i am the true vine all of these things when i say they will know me they will know me in every way imaginable they will know every title that belongs to this christ does doctrine matter most certainly we must know that jesus is the christ and that this Christ is the Lord, and that this Lord is the only begotten Son, and that this only begotten Son is sinless, and that this sinless man is the substitutionary atonement for sins, and he is that sacrificial lamb that we see presented in the Psalms when he says, all will know me. I think that we may rightly assume that it means all will know all of who I am and that they will be sure to the fullest extent that I am nothing less than Savior. That there is no other way, that there is no other pardon, that the smallest, the youngest, even, if you will, the uh, least intellectual amongst Christians will know that Christ is Lord. I don't know about you, but I am convinced that even the beast may know that Christ is Lord and that they will answer to him. They have before. What makes us think that it is any different? So much so shall it be with man that they will know him in every intimate fashion. And the truth is this, if this, this statement is true that we will know the Lord and that we will know he is not only uh, Jesus and the Christ and Savior, but that we will know that he died for us, then we most certainly will also know that we must be obedient, that we must be followers of this Christ, that it is not simply good enough to make a false profession. How many times? Is a demon mentioned the Lord, mentioned the Son of God, this Jesus, this Christ, and know that he is these things, yet without submission to him and to his authority. The reality is that for one to know, they will know all of who Christ is, and they will be satisfied with all of who Christ is, and they will know that Christ is all satisfying on their behalf there is a picture that is presented in verse 11 from the least to the greatest even from the jew and to the gentile there will be a gentleness in god's love in so much as that we will not only desire that christ be our substitutionary atonement but we will desire to be like him in every way and we will be desiring to know him more and more there will be a yearning for his word. There will be a distinction amongst the professors of Christ and the believers in Christ who desire to be sanctified, who enjoy purity and holiness and righteousness, who love the perfections of Christ in as so much as that they will put off to the best of their ability the corruptions of the flesh that they will battle with sin and that they will not only battle with sin, but they will be prepared to battle with sin because they will look to Galatians and see this full armor of God and have no other desire for a different armor or a better armor or a lighter armor. They will know that this is exactly what is needed for a spiritual battle. We'll be familiar with his titles, be familiar with his attributes, will be familiar with his character and we will covet those things righteously 
this Christ will cause us to be restrained in the flesh. This Christ will cause us to love godly things and to abhor worldliness. Just uh, as a quick note, uh, verse 11 does not simply end there. Uh, it is really a prequel to verse 12. For in knowing this Lord, they will know, as he says in verse 12, that I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. How will they know that he is merciful and that he will remember their sins no more if we as a people of God are not familiar enough with this Christ to know that he is God in the flesh and to know that he is our substitutionary atonement, to know that he is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, to know that he is the sacrifice that is pleasing to God. And I thought about this new covenant and what it means for the laws to be written on the minds and to no longer be teaching one another, know the Lord, but to understand that all will know him. I see a glimpse of that as Christ would overturn the money changers. There was a group of people who would say, know the Lord, but if they were in any way familiar with him, they would have been fearful to do the things that they did. Not too much different today. Sinners, when they come, come beginning with the fear of this almighty God. We should fear the wages of sin and when Christ is conforming and Christ is sanctifying, uh, the fear of sin leaves and the joy of obedience begins. That is the text of Hebrews chapter 8, verse 11. That is the essence of what the Spirit is doing in administering to us the gospel of Christ. Notice what I said, the Spirit administering. Jesus himself rather than what these men, these Hebrews, may have once clinged to. Clinging to Moses, clinging to Abraham, clinging to a sinful man to escape sin, when the text presents that we may cling to a sinless man, a cross, a temple that will be raised up and has been in three days, one that will ascend into heaven. Let's pray. Father God, as we uh, conclude this time in which we have opened your word, Lord, we uh, just pray that uh, the phrase, know the Lord, may mean something different to us today. Or that we will contemplate what it is to know you, O God, and what it must mean, God, that we would be conformed to the image of christ and that we would desire to be conformed to his image or that we would no longer enjoy sin or we often are sidetracked by paul and this thorn in his flesh we know that your grace is to be sufficient but the problem is god we don't always recognize the thorn in our flesh we don't always know. The text of Hebrews declares that knowing the Lord is different than knowing of the Lord. God, we just pray that as we read your word, that you would do what you have called your word to do, to cleanse, to wash, or that it would uh, rejuvenate, that bring life, to sinful man. Lord, we just thank you for what you have given us, both spiritually and temporally. Lord, we uh, look to you for the increase in all things, God, and we must accredit to you the glory and the honor for anything that we are able to do in this life or the next. God, we ask that you would uh, cause us and enable us and bring a desire 
to worship you, God, in spirit and in truth, uh, that we will at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ or at our last breath will not be found in sin, but that we may be found feasting upon our Savior and supping with our bridegroom. Lord, we thank you so much for this day that you have given us. Lord, we ask that you would bless the meal that we may partake of. Lord, and we ask that you would use it. Uh, Lord, not in a, a meaningless sense, in order to preserve this body, but that it may uh, further the gospel, that it may further the preaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and his exaltation and his glory. In his name we pray.